This is Learn From Others, where we interview a cross-section of successful individuals so you can learn from their experiences, achievements, and even their mistakes. We ask four questions that will educate and inspire. Greg Stanley will be your guide as we join our guests on a journey from adolescent daydreaming to success in today's world. Join us on this adventure as we learn from others together. Welcome to Learn From Others, where we help others succeed by sharing success. I'm very excited to introduce our special guest, Eric Monticelli. Well, Eric, thank you for taking us on your career journey today. But before we find out what you're actually doing today, other than driving in California currently, <laughs> yeah. let's start at the beginning. And if you would, please tell us, what did you want to be when you grew up? Man, when I grew up, I grew up in a very small town. So I had a, a lot of ambition and a lot of goals and dreams to just sort of get out there and explore the world. Um, my very first thing, I watched a ton of Top Gun in the 80s. So, awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> One of my favorite movies, so I wanted to fly F-14 Tomcats. I wanted to be an Air Force fighter pilot. Um, you know, that was my uh, first goal. I've always loved animals, so eventually it, it turned into, like, being a vet. And then, um, you know, I was, I'm a, I was and I am a huge baseball nut, so being a starting shortstop somewhere was what were my other uh, career ambitions. So some really lofty goals. I, I will say that I, I didn't really achieve any of them, but I've uh, talked to and interacted <laughs> with a lot of those people. So, yeah. That's awesome. Well, for our listeners, you can go back to one of our earlier episodes with Vincent Aiello, who was a Top Gun pilot and an instructor for three years. So that was a pretty cool interview. Well, cool. Amazing. Yeah, we well, got some pretty cool uh, aspirations as a little kid. Well, what was one of your favorite subjects or hobbies in school? Uh, so in school, I was very into uh, reading and uh, writing, and I also loved to, um, uh, all my English classes really just resonated with me. I, I got fascinated at a very young age with the idea of mythologies and myths and sort of storytelling. Um, and so I would read a lot. Um, I got lost in a lot of different creative worlds. I, I didn't realize until I got older, but I read a lot of um, Dungeons and Dragons novels, um, <laughs> which I, you know, it was a, it was, at that age and in, in the 80s, it wasn't as cool as it was now. Um, you know, it, you didn't have the nerd cred, so um, <laughs> I read quite a few of those. But I also looked at a ton of just like schematic manuals for um, different sort of fighter planes and things like that. So I, I like just design and sort of mythology were two things I got fixated on at a young age, which I didn't realize I was, I was fixated by those things until I was older. Um, and then, you know, fiction books and, and things like that, I read a lot of too. But math, I was never very good at. I did enjoy gym um, and sort of just physical activity and, and sort of being um, out there and, and that sort of bonding. But um, everything else, it was pretty much, you know, uh, a little bit of science. I found it curious. I sort of excelled at English and, and that sort of thing, so I, I dove into that subject. That's funny because I liked D&D as a little tiny kid, and I started to draw uh, the dragons oh, and nice. such. And I don't know that we yeah. ever actually played an actual D&D game correctly. I don't, we, we didn't have the oh. patience to read all the rules. <laughs> we just yeah, kinda... I actually, I've never played one. Like I've never played a D&D game in my life, but I read the novels just because I picked one up, uh, R.H. Salvatore novel. I, I just loved it, and that, that world's fascinating. I think people just have really rich imaginations that can come up with that stuff, you know? Right, right. Yeah, well, now, what was your first actual real job, one where you got a paycheck and had some type of responsibility? My father instilled a very strong work ethic. He was he was always working. Uh, my mother was, too. So, um, you know, I, I think I always sort of had this mentality that I, I needed to find a job, and I, I got cash sort of like working for my father's shop when I was a very young age, like before I could legally work, but <laughs> thinking about my 
first job was probably probably a fast food restaurant, uh, a, a chain called Wendy's. Um, I always pronounce it wrong. I say Wendy's or something, but um, <laughs> it's the hamburger joint, um, you know, and I, I worked there. My brother had worked there, and I got sort of a job on with that, but I continued. I worked at a hardware store, and, you know, my first paying job was actually working for my father's tractor implement business, so... That's oh, what wow. I remember is my yeah. That's what I remember is my first job. He he sold like John Deere and Ford tractors, sweep the floors, and I would clean the tractors, and I would drive them, and I would you know arrange them, and and just help uh, take care of the showroom and sort of the the lawnmowers and all this other stuff. I mowed a lot of lawns. I definitely <laughs> did that. Mowing lawns is something I think every kid did. Uh, that sounds like a pretty cool first job, moving around big tractors. That sounds like fun. Yeah, no, it was it was awesome because especially where I grew up, it was very snowy um, in the winter. So we would have these backhoes, and I remember driving down our, our driveway and just sort of pushing snow into this big mountain. And then when we were done, <laughs> we would play on the mountain and play King of the Mountain and uh, King of the Hill. Uh, so, you know, that's great. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, now we understand where you started your career. Well, what do you do today? Uh, so today I'm the director of production at uh, Marvel Games, and uh, that, that means I oversee sort of the uh, game development for a lot of Marvel's uh, tentpole AAA console games, and uh, I sort of look after uh, them in terms of keeping them authentically Marvel and true to the brand and making sure that our, our collaborators and, and the people that we uh, work with to make the games are uh, happy and, and, and creating, you know, a product that lives up to the Marvel name. Now, you seem like to me you have, like, this awesome dream job. So can you yeah. tell us how did you get to that job? Like, what did, you know, take us from moving tractors to uh, what you do today? Yeah. Man, I, I have probably had one of the most circuitous, like, just <laughs> secure, like a, the, my route there is basically like a maze. It's sort of like a Kafka novel or something. But, um, you know, I, I really, uh, so I was, you know, working in a small town. As I mentioned earlier, I had a lot of ambition, a lot of aspirations to sort of get out, do bigger things, see the world a little bit. And, um, you know, initially I, I I thought I could be a musician and I could tour, and so I, I did a lot of um, playing small-town shows in my late teens and uh, a little bit into my early 20s where I, I think I got as far as Cleveland, and Cleveland to Buffalo is not that far, but, you know, it's impressive. It's <laughs> right. a couple hours. Yeah, and so um, I got there and uh, was playing different shows, and I was working at a hardware store at the time, and it, it just got really sort of um, my mind wasn't challenged, so I kind of went back to college. And then I went to a SUNY school, and it felt like high school, and I, I didn't really love that experience. High school wasn't a, a tremendously great experience for me. It was a little little rough. I was just kind of one of the weird kids in a small town. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't love the SUNY school, so after about six months, I dropped out. Um, they offered me money to come back, but I didn't take that up. Um, and, and then I had a girlfriend who, at the time, who convinced me to transfer to a um, very big school. I transferred into NYU, um, you know, wrote some letters and got in there. You know, it was it, probably one of the best decisions of my life in terms of just, you know, getting me out of my mindset and breaking me out of the, the mold I was um, in for uh, living where I had, had lived. And so that led to a lot of different opportunities, um, you know, it really sort of expanded the the breadth of what I could see of the world. New York City is essentially your campus when you go there, so you get, you just see a lot. 
you know, I, I worked three jobs while I was in college. I was a research assistant. I worked in the history department at the same time, and then I also went to classes. And then I had a, another job a little bit later working for another department um, within, within the school. So, you know, that, that work ethic had always been strong within me, so I always, always wanted to keep working and, and, you know, support myself. Those were some of my first sort of, like, college jobs and getting a footing and networking, and that, that was one of the biggest things I learned, how important it was to network and just, you know, build your opportunities and, and things that you could see and people you interact with. So I went basically from doing those kind of jobs, and I thought I wanted to be a college professor. I thought I wanted to teach English and, and sort of, um, you know, talk about books a lot and pontificate. And um, I uh, wrote an honors thesis, and while I was writing the thesis, I literally was sitting there, and I'm literally, like, just in this chair, and I'm like, man, this is boring. Like, I'm just <laughs> sort of typing away, like, sitting on my butt, getting hemorrhoids. I'm like, this is not fun. <laughs> you know, like, Doesn't sound really like fun. <laughs> yeah, it was, like, something I didn't really want to do. So I was like, man, what do I do with my life? I'm not really sure. So um, I applied for a fellowship. I got a fellowship through Fordham University to teach just to see if I liked it. So I taught, actually it was a middle school, so I taught at a middle school in New York for about a year. Um, it was a really positive experience. It was called the Center School, um, a very, very different kind of school. They sort of have a unique educational philosophy around how kids need to mature. Um, from their sort of middle school age to um, their teen, uh, high school age. That was really, really eye-opening. It gave me an insight into the world and, and sort of different uh, aspects of New York City kids and culture. And, and really, uh, there was a kid there that um, had a lot of challenging problems, and he didn't really have a good home life. So he, he would take some of his problems to school with him. We had a lot of psychiatrists and psychologists coming in to help us cope with some of it, and it got me passionately interested about psychology and psychiatry and sort wow. of how people, people think. And so um, I, while I was doing this fellowship and, and sort of helping this kid, you also are mentors for a group of kids within the school. So every teacher becomes a, a mentor and sort of has their – little group. They had a name for it that I can't remember because this is about, oh man, this is almost 15 years ago now, but <laughs> they they had a name for that mentor group and we all sort of helped the children. Um, just sort of, if you if, the, if uh, one of the kids had a problem with another teacher, they would come to the mentor teacher first and we would sort of work out um, ways to, um, you know, attack the problem and, and sort right. of bring up concerns. And so it was a really, really community-oriented, nurturing environment, and I love that a lot. Very open, very loose, very um, familiar uh, familiar and, and intimate, and I, I love that sort of aspect about, um, you know, just really connecting with people. And so got me interested in psychology, you know, this, this, this child who had these problems, and then also um, just being in part of that school and that environment. I also started reading a lot of this author, uh, Atul Gwande, and he's this amazing human being that does these things that I don't even know how he makes time for. He's like a Harvard professor and a surgeon and three kids and writes for the New Yorker in his spare time. One of those guys, right? So like, <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> so he's, he's written some great books. There's this book called Complications that I just poured myself into, and I actually used it to teach when I taught there because I taught a, a variety of subjects. Um, you know, I, I'd always been interested in music from my earlier sort of days as a musician, so... I taught like a history of punk rock class, taught oh, people wow. how to make fanzines. <laughs> I taught a, a, you know, an English class, and then I taught a global health class, which I leaned into a lot of the issues and complications. 
you know, in a lot of the, the chapters and stories he told, Atulwande told. And so when I uh, got finished with my fellowship, I'm like, I'm going to go back to school and become a psychiatrist. <laughs> I was like, why not? So and wait, so bought, at this point, how long have you been in school at this point? So I've been in school about four-year college and then about a year of this fellowship, so five okay. years. Gotcha. Yeah, okay. so it's, it's it's a long story, but it's it's sort of, um, you know, that's it's a very, like I said, a very circuitous route to get where I am today. And right. So um, I went I went back to school. I, I got into a couple colleges, um, got into Columbia for a pre-med program and, and post-doc. Uh, it's, it's, so after you get your uh, BA, you sort of can go back and uh, do a pre-med thing. It wasn't a good fit for me. Very, very... Um, different um you know I, I definitely come from sort of working class roots and and a lot of the people that were in the program were came from very privileged backgrounds that i just found it really hard to relate to and and it was a little bit of a challenge um you know i made some good friends there too but um it was it was the sort of thing where when i was there i i just failed at doing um well because i just wasn't invested in it so i dropped out after about nine months and then i tried to figure out what the next step was and I went back and sort of fell back on my laurels and, and went back to NYU and started to look for jobs. And I got a job at the uh, Central European uh, Department. Um, they sort of covered off uh, aspects of Central European culture. And um, it was an interesting thing because I just started interviewing at other things after my, my time there was up. And I, I talked to this one woman who worked for the Asian Pacific Institute there, and she was uh, listening to me interview, and at the end of their interview, she's like, I don't think you're a good fit for this job, but I have a friend who does a lot with video games. You seem to be very passionate about video games. You should talk to her. <laughs> How did that come up in the interview process? So we were talking about just like art and culture and sort of elevating different mediums and, and sort of what was big, especially, you know, Japanese culture has had a, a rich history with video games. So I think mm. we were talking about Japanese culture and like, you know, I grew up as a Nintendo kid when I was, um, seven, I sent some sketch notebooks to Nintendo with like my little drawings of like game ideas. And I got a really awesome. nice letter. Yeah. I still have them. They're pretty funny to look at. Um, and I got a nice letter back from Nintendo, and, you know, it was, it was awesome. Somebody took the time there to even respond to me about, you know, like just following my dreams and pursuing them. And, you know, at, at some point along the way in between, you know, trying to be a doctor and a musician and, and be a teacher and all this, I had lost sight of, you know, my original sort of, I guess, dream, which was to work in video games. Because video games have always been something in my life. It's just sort of been you know, part of my world. My dad, while he ran this farm implement business, also had a computer business. Um, he had his own little startup and, and sold computers and sort of like, uh, or almost like a mini Dell in our in our neighborhood. It was like a very personal computer sort of thing in the, in the 80s and 90s. And my dad initially got a job offer at IBM out of college, and he was going to go work at IBM, but um, he chose to come back home because he got a really good um, sort of offer from his grandparents to, um, my great-grandparents to um, sort of work back at the family business. And so, you know, it, it was one of those things, and you make those choices. And, you know, it, it had already been, always been a part of my life, but I never realized how, how much I was into it. And uh, so this was about, you know, 2004, 2005 that it had happened. And, I, and honestly, another thing that had happened at the time is I started playing video games again. I had bought a PlayStation 2. I hadn't owned a console for a long, long time. And um, I got back into them because there was a game called God of War, which was all based on Greek mythology. 
and all the Greek mythology that I they saw in this game, I was like, man, I, I love this stuff as a kid. I would read about Medusa and Hydra and Gorgon right. and Minot- yeah. Minotaurs <laughs> and all this stuff. And I was like, man, they made a really cool interactive version of you know what would happen if this story was told in Greek mythology. And so it just fascinated me that the video game medium had evolved this far because, you know, for Time Immemorial, my favorite video game has and forever will be Tetris, right? Like, that is the best video game of all all time. Like, I I think in terms of just, you know, how it's designed and how it helps people sort of with cognitive function and everything like that, I I just love the game. But Just to interrupt about Tetris for a second, I played that ad nauseum in college on the little Game Boy, (laughs) black and white Game Boy. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I just remember every time you've got a... uh, you got to the next level, you would get like a little rocket ship that would go up. Well, when you got yeah. to like 100 levels, the rocket ship had an extra window or something. You get to yeah. like 200 levels, it had like a ball or something. I don't know. It was such a minimal change in the rocket, I still had to see what it was. <laughs> yeah, and that, I was I was just going to go into that, and that's, that's the story behind it that not a lot of people know. The guy who designed it was Russian, and he wanted to make a game that sort of talked about the Russian space program. And oh. so, um, so you know, when you're playing Tetris and you see this rocket getting built, um, eventually, you know, the the goal is that you, you know you, it takes this work and it takes this cognitive thought and you know finding and sliding all the pieces into the right shape to make sure that um, you know you can that's that's the mental fortitude and discipline it takes to launch a rocket, you know, and that's sort of the underlying meta thing in the game and. Um, you know, not a lot of people realize it because it's been through so many incarnations since then. But, you know, last year a game called Tetris Effect came out, and they did a brilliant job with it, too. And, you know, I think that uh, that game will just always have legs. It'll always be something, you know, we since we were cavemen uh, and cavewomen, we we played with we played games right and so like games are always always part of who we are as as humans and um tetris is one of those that taps into sort of that uh, you know low that level that base sort of um you know instinct that humans have and that sort of the mental uh dexterity and aptitude and challenges you need to to have to to make something work so um yeah so i was fascinated by that fascinated by god of war fascinated by a game called castlevania symphony tonight you know, a few different PlayStation 2 games came along, and, you know, I was in this interview talking about that and talking about how I had been, you know, thrilled by how much games have evolved and turned into this real viable art form and that were in which they could tell these really rich, complex stories in unique ways. And so, you know, it, the, the lady uh, at the, the Institute connected me with her friend, I took this job essentially being an intern. <laughs> it was a, a really fancy title. It was like assistant director to special something, blah, 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 right? Um, but it was an internship, right, more or less, um, working for this woman who ran, um, her name was Teiko Baba, and she ran New York Tokyo. And New York Tokyo was this company that sort of looked at the fusion between New York City culture and Tokyo Japanese culture and, and explored it in a multitude of ways. It was fashion, it was music, it was clothing, it was gaming, it was all these things. So she put me in charge of the gaming section, um, and I would sort of help organize just gaming events. I would reach out. She had this huge contact list, one of the most connected people I've ever met in my life, like knew everybody from all different industries. And she would be like, all right, using my email, you'll get you know some, some sort of visibility into uh, this world. Uh, you should 
you know, connect with these people and uh, see where it leads and try and create these events. We did a lot of gaming tournaments and sort of different things like that. And so I ended up putting together, um, you know, the, one of the highlights we did is we did this um, event in, in Central Park, which had, like, uh, Talib Kweli, and uh, at the time it was Kanye West tour DJ, DJ A-Track, and um, it also had a Uniglow fashion, it had a Japanese airline company, and I had this little gaming pavilion where I ran a fighting game tournament. And that was all me, and that was all what I was charging, and I was like getting the TVs, making sure everything was set up, setting up the tournament rules, hosting the tournament, all that. Wow. And so it really gave me a sense of like just, all right, if you want to work in gaming, you just got to go for it. And so I put myself out there after that. I just got fascinated with the culture and the people, you know, and, and Taiko was really good to me. She uh, organized something on the West Coast and flew me out. Um, it was at the Beverly Center, and we had this tournament where it was for Dead or Alive, I think, Four was the, the incarnation then, and uh, randomly, um, because we had one of the, the highest ranking players in the world there, and it was advertised, Vin Diesel shows up and starts playing <laughs> with this guy, right? And it's like, wow, this gaming, you know, like just sort of connects with, you know, all these different sort of people. Vin Diesel showed up and interrupted the whole tournament, but hey, whatever, it's good. Yeah, good you genre. make it work. <laughs> yeah, make it work. <laughs> And so it was It was one of those things that was really cool, and, you know, it was good to see this. And so I applied for a job that I didn't have experience for, but I thought, hey, you know, I, I worked my way and, and sort of made it happen with uh, New York Tokyo. Maybe I can get this job working as a community manager at 2K. So I went through this interview gauntlet, interviewed about with six different people, didn't really think I did that well. I got a call back the other day. They're like, we don't want to hire you but we want to hire you for this role that we think we need. And I was like, this is amazing. So what it, what it came down to was um, this guy named Tom Bass, who, who's a fantastic uh, human being and just sort of one of my mentors in the game industry. He uh, just took a flyer with me. He just gave me a chance. He, he saw a lot of potential in my passion and, and what I was interested in. And he made up a role um, called marketing coordinator. And a 2K was a very small company at the time. They were probably about... I don't know, maybe 40 people at most, maybe 35. They were working on a game called Bioshock, and they really needed support to make it as big as possible. Otherwise, probably they wouldn't be around today. And so I came on, um, and I just followed what I did with New York Tokyo, hit the ground running. I saw where all the cracks were at the company, and I just sort of fulfilled roles. And if you look at my resume with that, I, I sort of had three different job titles in about two years there because I would just jump into different roles that they needed. I was a video editor. I became a, um, I went from marketing coordinator to a product manager, associate product manager, and then I became the video editor because I actually taught myself how to edit video and make trailers while I was working there. So it was an experience, and that's sort of how I ended up in the video game industry. And from there, um, Bioshock did extremely well. It was nominated for a ton of Game of the Year awards, won a ton of Game of the Year awards. It's still one of the highest rated, critically acclaimed video games of all time. It sort of just launched my career. It, it was it was really good luck, good timing, uh, you know, and just me working hard and sort of hustling to get there. And, uh, you know, since then, it's just been a cascade of me finding projects I want to work on and, and trying to figure out a way to go work on them. So I went from 2K, and I joined um, Atari when they were working on Ghostbusters game, worked on the Ghostbusters game there, went back to the West Coast and worked on Capcom and worked on some of my favorite games there, Okami Den and uh, Resident Evil game and, and uh, 
Devil May Cry game. Then I got one of uh, my dream jobs at, at Naughty Dog, uh, working on Uncharted and The Last of Us and, and things like that. I, I worked there for quite a lot, long time. I've, uh, I've always been fascinated with space. My brother actually works at JPL, so sort of in our blood. And he uh, had gotten this job at JPL, and I had a chance to go work on a, a Call of Duty game that was themed and sort of set in space. And I took that, jumped wow. at that opportunity. And now, from there, I uh, jumped over to Marvel to work on Marvel Spider-Man, and I'm on the Avengers Project, and, and things that, you know, like, ever since, you know, I was a kid, I read Marvel comics and, you know, watched movies and things like that. So, you know, it's, yeah, it's a long story, and, uh, you know, I talked for a while there, but um, that's that's kind of how I got where I am. No, that's a crazy career journey, and uh, you're you're all over the place, but it sounds like it's yeah. working out for you. <laughs> yeah, so. it's. It's one of those things where, you know, like that's that's something that, you know, I've had a lot of just different passions and interests and I've been able to channel them. And I think the game industry is really forgiving in that way and, and accepting, right? Um, they, if you're creating virtual worlds, you want to have a lot of real world experience. So, you know, the idea that you're, you're creating this fictional world that people are going to have it and be immersed in and be a part of for a long time, you got to bring a lot of your real world experience to bear. So, like... My rich background has sort of just given me a, a good, a good canvas and a good uh, bucket of, you know, stuff that I can bring into what I create. Yeah, and I have a ton of questions for you. So, <laughs> your last, <laughs> yeah. your your last release was Spider Man. Is that correct? Yeah, Marvel Spider Man. Yep. Okay, and I have not. I used to play video games all the time. I have not played actively console games in a little while now, so I'm a little bit behind. But it sounds like you're working on a new Avengers project, I'm assuming, with the new movie coming out. Yeah, it's separate from the movie. Okay. Now, if you could talk a little bit about keeping the brand language, or I forget how you put it earlier, but making yeah. sure everything aligns correctly. And if you could give me an example in the past, maybe when something didn't align and you had to fix it. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, my, my job and one of the, the roles I uh, work with, I work with our creative team and um, a lot of the different stakeholders across Marvel to just make sure that our games are authentically Marvel and keep that brand authenticity. And so, um, you know, keeping the language and, um, you know, making sure something just sings and works is a a very important thing and our characters have this rich 80 year history and people when you say spider-man when you say iron man when you say captain america when you say uh black uh panther when you say wasp widow uh black widow any any of these characters um you know people have these associations with them and you want to make sure that they have um you know what their expectations are for those characters are met in the in the sort of uh game they're going to play. So um, with Marvel Spider-Man, for instance, when we were playing it, um, you know, early on in development, uh, there were a lot of different challenges to make sure he was acrobatic enough and dynamic enough and moved with the right sort of grace and agility that Spider-Man would move with. And then also, um, you know, you're playing through this whole game, this sort of like 18, 20 hour experience. You want to be able to blend humor and make sure there's the right amount of humor for the character. Spider-Man sort of is a wise-cracking hero and, and sort of very quippy and will say things. So, but you can't go too far, and humor is really hard. So there's right. all this, all these sort of things that come into play. And so, you know, those are those are two of the touch points. You know, making sure that the combat and the acrobatic actions that the the character does on screen um, are thrilling enough and like, yeah, I feel like Spider-Man. But, you know, at the core of Spider-Man, what it is and what it comes down to is the swinging and making sure that that swinging feels good and fluid and dynamic and interesting. And, um, you know, the team at Insomniac Games did a brilliant job with it. If you play Marvel Spider-Man and you're swinging around the city, you almost get into this 
flow state. It's like very, very zen-like to just sort of swing <laughs> and swing, and you can like dive down and swing back up. And so like, you know, just seeing that come along and progress through the course of development was really rewarding, but also something we were keeping a very close eye on to make sure it would feel as good as it did. And, and you know, Insomniac Games and, and our partners at PlayStation, they, they really nailed it. Yeah, so that would be like, you know, if you put the external appearance of spider-man on wolverine you know and tried to right. it when it, it yeah. wouldn't sell <laughs> yeah i you mean know? if you had if you have a spider-man where he's like you know smoking cigars and you know why you like being all angry and aggro and violent it's like that's not what people expect from spider-man that's not who he <laughs> right. is right um I'm, honestly we wouldn't have anybody smoking cigars that's not a thing marvel does but um you know it's just one of those one of those things so um you know, it's it's those sort of touch points, those little little authenticity points of these characters. You know, I, I really do believe Marvel um, is the new mythology. Um, you know, we had all these stories told, um, you know, in, in Roman and in Grecian times about Zeus and Hades and Ares and all that. And now we have Captain America and Iron Man and Black Widow and Captain Marvel and Black Panther and all these other great characters that are sort of like our new myths and we sort of right. tell, tell these stories in that way and, and Marvel's just achieved this level of um, storytelling that has transcended um, you know just fiction and, and really gone into myth and I think that that is a, a really big accomplishment and something I love about working here and, and that ties back to you know what I was talking about earlier my fascination with myth as, as a child right yeah absolutely well could you tell us a little bit about your average work week Ah, uh, there is no average <laughs> It's really hard to, this question I get quite a bit when I'm talking to, you know, people that are interested in either pursuing a career path like mine or just sort of learning about what I do. Um, and, you know, that's the coolest thing about the gaming industry is that every day is different. Every hour sometimes is different. Um, you know, like there, there are definitely um, things that are common. You'll spend a lot of time, you know, doing phone calls and, and Applying on email, and then spend a lot of time just, you know, reviewing code and, and making sure that um, things are, are coming along and, and different things like that. But um, you know, the the challenges and the problems and the tasks that you'll face day to day, it could be a something uh, along the lines of figuring out if you can license a certain item to get in something to discussing are the web shooters on Spider-Man's web shooters making the right sound effects or are they sticky enough or are does the does the visual effects look right like there's all these different elements that you'll go through um, through the course of a week that will pop up minute to minute and, and it's kind of the exciting part about being in uh, game development and, and game production and also uh, you know, working with these really, really talented game developers. Speaking of which, so you're dealing with different gaming studios, or is it one yeah. studio and multiple developers? I guess it depends on the game you're working on, right? Yeah, it depends on the game. So essentially I work, in, in, in Marvel Games is sort of a, a licensing team, and we license out our IP. We sort of, the best way to think about it is we have the toys and the, the sort of, um, you know, the toy box, and, and we let other people play with their toys and, and go in our toy box, right? Um, and so, uh, or if you want to use a food metaphor, we're the kitchen suppliers. We have a real cool kitchen. We have the, the um, sort of pots and pans, and we, we give them to the developers, and, and they cook cool dishes with them. And then right. we, all, we all taste them and determine if they're tasty enough for the public and that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's, that's kind of like how we work. And, um, you know, it's a very, uh, you know, it's a remarkable um, sort of role. It's unique within the game industry. There's not a lot of um, 
you know, licensed games as much anymore, but it's, it's a very cool um, and, and a very rich uh, history of characters and IP and, and, and things that uh, can be made into video games. You know, like like I said, using these these characters that are sort of like our new mythology to tell the story in, in the video game medium is, is really cool. Yeah, truly it is. As a reminder, you can check out all previous episodes at learnfromothers.org. And if you're an educator or a student, you can search for podcasts by career cluster and additional resources are under the resource tab. So we learned what you wanted to be when you grew up and what you actually do today. So looking back, what would you do differently? You know, I try not to look back that much. I'm, I believe in, in this thing, and my wife and I talk about it a lot. Forward motion is everything, um, you know, which I think might be a Jerry Maguire line. But, but um, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where thinking about where I've come and, and what I've been up to and, and how I've gotten here, you know, as I, as I do get older, I think about it a little bit more. But, um, you know, I, I think the biggest thing that I, I would do a little differently was I did take a really circuitous route to get where I am. I think I had always wanted to work in games, but it was really hard for me to sort of embrace my inner nerd. <laughs> you know, that's a weird thing right. to say. But, you know, especially growing up in the 80s and 90s when it wasn't super cool to be a nerd, it was kind of a little, you were a little bit of an outcast and a little bit of a weirdo. Um, and so, like, I've always challenged that, and it's been a, it's been a hard thing for me to, um, you know, just be who I am sometimes. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, I see kids nowadays do way better than I ever did. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that it's something that, you know, you always got to remind yourself of to just sort of be who you are and. If you're passionate about something, let your heart follow it and, and go for it. Um, you know, I think I definitely do that differently. I, I would get a little bit less formal education. I think, you know, going to four-year college is, is helpful and will train you if it's the right fit. Um, everybody's a different personality, but some people don't even need college and they can succeed, um, you know. So I think that's another thing I would um, consider. You know, I, I had this sort of it was almost like a, a haughtiness where I was like, all right, I wanted to get a really good degrees, and I thought I wanted to be a professor, and I thought I had to go to these top-flight schools, and it definitely helped me, definitely helped me build a network and helped me get some education, but I think I over-indexed a little too hard in, in some of those um, those areas, and I could have built just a successful career as, as not following all those routes. Like, yeah, I mean, like Columbia and, and going there for my uh, post-bac was a learning experience and it taught me a lot about failure but I think you know I probably would have skipped that step in my life if, if I knew better right right well let's make the assumption someone in our audience wants to do what you do be sure. the uh, director of production of a video game what advice would you give them um, network definitely that's the biggest thing go to go to these trade shows go to different um, gaming events build a network if you're passionate about one aspect of gaming like you like lighting or animation or voiceover or sound effects, special effects, whatever, whatever you're into, audio, um, you know, just figure out what that is, um, learn as much as you can about it, and then uh, talk to people in it and, and get some information about what they do. If you want to sort of have a, a director title and oversee production and, and sort of get a good holistic view at everything, you got to understand everything everybody's working on, even if you're not passionate about that, and that's something my whole life I've done and sort of been um, thoughtful about is like I'll, I'll read things or watch things that I may not like or I may not agree with, but I want to learn from them. And so I challenge myself to sort of get outside my comfort zone, think about things that I always am not 100% jazzed about but would be, you know, 
know that it would apply to what I need to do. So, um, you know, I learn about different things day to day that uh, will help my, my role and help me sort of understand game development and game developers. Um, you know, my, my role is, is unique in, insofar as the sort of, like, I'm not on a development team. I sort of just help these game these game makers make their games and sort of advise them but you know it's it's a it's a long sort of journey and i think you gotta get as much experience as you can from all different aspects and different uh roles and, and occupations and people that do different things in life you know i think i've learned a lot from kindergarten teachers to be honest with you um <laughs> you know they, they 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 have one of the hardest jobs on earth I, I believe that i actually substitute taught at kindergarten a few times and um you know they uh have to balance this sort of very adult mindset as, as you are an adult when you're teaching kids and you have these 30 kids sometimes in a classroom where they all have these different needs and developing at different speeds and you know my mom was an educator for a long long time and I have tremendous respect for what teachers do because they just they go through a lot um, they have a lot of different psychological challenges and different um, needs from their children and so um, I think that it's good to keep an open mind about all that and make sure that you learn a lot about the different ways that people uh, behave. Because um, there's no there's no replacement for emotional intelligence. I think emotional intelligence is super important for the workplace. Wow. That's really great advice. Well, what advice would you give a student who is currently enrolled in a college, university, or a trade school right now? Trade school kids, you're doing awesome. Keep going. Find that vocation you love. Keep, keep it up if you're not like you want to be a electrical engineer whatever it is um I, I love that sort of thing you know i have a, a profound respect for people that go into trades i think it's very useful and very functional um you know if you're in a liberal arts college kind of like i did figure out what you like like explore um you know go go into some different areas get outside of your comfort zone take some classes you know, you know i took some singing classes when i was in college because <laughs> i like i liked music i wasn't you know i sang in my band too but i wasn't a great singer but i just took on i sang some um you know i sang some soul songs some spiritual songs and things like that that i never would have thought of singing in my life before um and you know so i think that really helps um you know i took calculus which i'm horrible at but that really taught me a lot about what I'm good at, what I'm bad at, how to overcome some challenges. <laughs> me too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not an easy thing. Um, so I, I think that that is an important thing when you're in college to really broaden your horizons and, and use that degree as a means to sort of hone down into what what drives you and what motivates you to, to get out of bed every morning and go and do and, and get up and, and sort of do the go through the day and do the work that, that you're really passionate about. Right. That's great advice. Well, are there any current projects you're working on that you would like to share? I know you mentioned the Avengers briefly. Yeah. So um, yeah, I'm working on uh, the Avengers project. We announced it about two years ago. I'm very excited for when we're ready to share information about that again. Um, you know, Marvel Spider-Man, their DLC wrapped uh, last year. Um, so, you know, if you haven't played that yet, please go check it out. I think it's great. And I have a lot of cool secret projects that I just can't wait to get out um, and, and sort of get underway. So, um, you know, just keep focused. If you want to um, sort of follow me on Twitter, um, it's at ER Monicelli uh, on Twitter. Um, I, I sort of talk about um, some of my projects. I mostly talk about baseball and space and dogs, but if you like those three things <laughs> and you like video games, um, you know, I, I'm a very good follow, and, and you know, I think that uh, it'll be – uh, educational for you. That's awesome. Yeah, and we will have updates in the future as needed on our uh, newsletter, which you can sign up for at learnfromothers.org. 
Well, as with most journeys, success largely depends on reliable transportation, and I'm a huge car enthusiast. So could you please tell me what was your first car? So my very first car was a red uh, Pontiac Grand Am. And so I bought it used, and uh, it got me three speeding tickets within six months. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what year was that? Like uh, 86, or was that Uh, 90? It was 90, I think. 90 or 89. Um, It was, uh, yeah, it was because I was, I got it in 96, but I think it was about six or seven years old. So, um, you know, it was it was a cool car for sure. But, um, you know, I, I red cars, man, like they're, they're just like flags. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah they are. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is what is your dream car? Uh, so right now, um, you know, since I live in L.A., I finally got into car, car culture a bit. I used to live in New York City and I would walk everywhere. So I was like, I don't need a car. <laughs> but um, <laughs> here in L.A., um, you know, I've, I've really started to love um, Audi cars. And I, I drive a, a E3 right now, which is sort of my stopgap because I was waiting for a really good electric Audi to come along. And so they announced the e-tron uh recently yeah. um not the suv one the the sort of sporty the concept one the the i think they're calling it the gt um it looks really car, good oh that car looks gorgeous so gorgeous and um you know i i saw uh, that they had a, a special and had uh robert Downey jr driving around for avengers and i was like oh man <laughs> that's <so> cool <laughs> but um you know and i was always fascinated too when the first iron man movie came out they had the audi uh R8, um, sort of in it. Right. Yep. And mm-hmm. it, yeah, that that car was the first time I because I, I love design and so like the design of Audi I think is very very clean and very cool aesthetic and so you know I've always loved their cars and so you know if I can figure out how to afford one of the uh, you know e-tron GTs that I'm not sure what they're going to be priced at I'd love to to get one of those one day. Yeah, that's cool. Well, one great perk to some jobs is a company car, and if I had all the money in the world, I'd love to buy a really cool company car. So I did it based on Spider-Man, okay? Okay. And <laughs> in the past, Spider-Man didn't really drive really cool cars, and some of the cartoons was like a Doom buggy and some different yeah. things. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I found you a really cool car, though. It's a new car. I, I picked for you a 2019 Alfa Romeo 4C Ooh. Spider. Get it? Dang, Spider? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and it's also really cool because, yeah, there's a picture online right now on the website with the car. And what's cool is, like Spider-Man, it's yep. extremely strong and durable because it actually is the first car that had a carbon fiber tub oh, from the perfect. factory. Yeah, so awesome. and it's it's got a target top, so you know if you're actually Spider Man, you can jump out the target top and go swinging down the street. So if I had all the money in the world, that's the car I would get for you. <laughs> awesome, I love that. Yeah, no, I, it's it's great because in the suit design for Marvel Spider Man, we actually have some carbon fiber elements, so that works very well. Awesome, I didn't even know yeah. that. So hey, yeah. things work out well every once in a while. <laughs> totally great. Well, thank that's you awesome. so much for yeah, thank you so much for taking us on your journey today. What's the best way our listeners can learn more about you and your company? I know you mentioned your Twitter handle there. Is there anything else you'd like to mention? Yeah, if you want to follow at Marvel Games, um, you know we have a, a good Twitter following. We talk about our games there too. Um, you know, I uh, they will tweet more about uh, the wider portfolio of games we work on. We're working on uh, man, almost I think thirty titles right now. So there's a lot going on at Marvel Games. Um, so you follow at Marvel Games, learn about them. Um, follow myself at at er monicelli. 
um, Er Monicelli. I kind of like the <laughs> the sentence there. <laughs> um, right. And then uh, you know, I think that uh, you can you can look at our our partners and sort of our collaborators, PlayStation, Insomniac Games, um, Crystal Dynamics, Square Square Enix. Um, you know, those are a lot of the IDOS are a lot of the teams I'm working with right now, and they all have their own websites and have a lot of great information about what they're up to, and, and they make some great games. So please follow them, follow us, and, and I really appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation with me, Greg. Cool. Thanks, Eric, so much for sharing your career journey today. Thanks, Greg. Thank you for listening to Learn From Others, where we help others succeed by sharing success. Where will our next adventure take us? Subscribe to find out. If you know of someone who has a cool career story or occupation, contact Greg through Instagram at LFO. That's G-R-E-G-S-T-A-N-L-E-Y-L-F-O. And we will see you soon as we learn from others together.